Our scripture today comes from Proverbs 2, 1 through 11. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your ear to understanding, if you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice and preserving the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand the right you will understand righteousness and justice and, and equity every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul prudence will watch over you and understanding will guard you may god bless our understanding of scripture it doesn't matter how many times i practice a sermon before i preach it or even what i am going to say when i get up here i always right before walking up to the podium feel a need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but some sense of anxiety turns on my bladder and I guess I should wear Depends, but is that a TMI? Old woman wisdom would tell me to shut my mouth, but she's not here this morning. Old woman wisdom draws us closer to the fire this morning in her words from Proverbs 2 as she rocks in her chair and spouts out these random antidotes. You can imagine her. She has deep creases on her face that testify to her, uh, the, her reliability of her life experience. Her heavy-lidded eyes and sagging bags underneath them announce the struggle of life. The insomnia of many nights spent awake in the memory of, and then also the creases in her face are the memory of deep sleep sometimes that come from when you press your head too heavily on the pillow and then you wake and still have lines. Perhaps your Bible, if you have one or you're looking at it on iPhone, uh, wrongly attributes these words of wisdom of Proverbs to King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon is not one of my favorites. He was this womanizing polygamist with a royal legend, but they attribute these words to wise King Solomon because having the hierarchical stamp on the words gives it some sort of authority. Uh, that's patriarchy at its best, I guess, but it's believed that King Solomon was wise, and I have to ask, when would he have time to spout out all of these wise sayings, let alone like do some extracurricular reading? Because the brother had... 700 wives and 300 concubines, he was probably too busy getting busy rather than having time to study or say anything worthwhile. <laughs> Actually, these words of wisdom are probably a collected book of Proverbs, probably poems that the Hebrew people used to compete or compare with other ancient Near Eastern folks because in the ancient Near East, everybody, all community groups had a book of wisdom. That's why when you read the book of wisdom, it sounds kind of boring and like your drunk uncle just spouting off things. Sometimes it sounds good and sometimes you're like, oh, brother. But the ancient book of Proverbs, book of wisdom was used because we could avoid, uh, they avoided having reflections on um, location, 
or on histories of story that we might remember when you're reading the book of Proverbs, you might notice that there's no reference to Abraham or Isaac or Benjamin or any of those people because they were trying to get on the bestseller list of the ancient Near East, that get that stamp or sticker for Oprah's book club. The sayings from Proverbs 1 through 9 especially are placed in the mouth of Lady Wisdom, or in Hebrew, Chakoma, which is not the most beautiful Hebrew word, but I do love Hebrew, so. And wisdom, uh, chakoma in Hebrew, is feminine, which in English we don't uh, feminize or masculinize our words, but it's beautiful to know that in the book of Proverbs, they choose to give Lady Wisdom personhood and agency. The ancient Hebrew people felt that it was so important that she have a voice to share with all of their people. And she calls to us, saying, child. Now, I don't know if she uses that, like, in a loving, paternal type of way, child. Or if she uses it in kind of a judgmental grandma type of way, like, child, you better understand. And BTW, the word for understand in Hebrew, is also feminine, and she also has personhood and agency, and she's a total B, meaning she's bold and bright and really brassy, and I love her. So these women in the book of Proverbs often team up, and they say all of these things that make us roll our eyes, and they talk lots about sovereignty and wisdom and righteousness, but every once in a while they say something really profound that makes us sit up a little straighter. And then most often they say, fear the Lord. Now this fear is not some type of terror that makes us quake in our boots and uh, some kind of angst that we feel growing inside of us. Instead, the fear of the Lord is merely reverence for God. And I say merely, I shouldn't say that because reverence for God is actually a big thing which comes through lots of experience and practice. Reverence for God is acquired over time, and it comes through relationship. So in this proverb, the old woman wisdom instructs us to tune in for God's desires for our life, for God's desires for this world by turning on our hearing aids, listening for God's still small voice, and sensing a strange warming in our hearts when God's presence is near. She demands that we pull out our drum and beat out a fight song for the fear of the Lord, crying out and raising our voice to yell, chanting along with the great cloud of witnesses, chanting along with the rocks and the mountains and all of creation, crying out for God's goodness to be made visible. She also tells us to pull out our metal detectors, to comb the beach like lonely retirees, with all the time in the world and an insatiable curiosity to be on the search, the hunt for the reverence of God. It's as if she predicts the words of Jesus later spoken in Matthew's gospel, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened to you. If you look for God all around you, she says, if you cry out for God's justice and goodness in times of desperation, and if you search for God's presence in unexpected places, you will be surprised by hope. You will be surprised by the hope of God's goodness all around you. But child, old woman wisdom demands a lot of work, doesn't she? She expects quite a significant amount of participation on behalf of this child in order to experience God in the everyday life. 
And I have to say to her, I don't think she knows a lot about anxiety. I wonder if she knows anything about the crippling kind of anxiety. I have a feeling that old woman wisdom and her sassy sister understanding often would be impatient with myself. They would often have to have real talk with me and sit me down and say, child, you got to get your stuff together. Uh, which, to old woman, I would say, old woman, that is the worst possible thing you could say to somebody struggling with anxiety. The personal demons of doubt and depression. The old woman would probably have little sympathy for this newly turned 30-year-old who, who was diagnosed with clinical anxiety in her mid-20s, who often wakes up from a deep sleep in a fear of sweat and tears. Because what old woman wisdom doesn't know is that my anxiety gives me superpowers to be super anxious. I'm like, I'm like a superhero of anxiety. I am able to leap to the most unrational, irrational bounds uh, in a single bound. Inexplicably, I can crumble with feelings of insecurity, uncertainty regarding my financial stress, regarding loneliness, regarding rejection or fear of being unloved. And, and then my anxiety quickly becomes a wrecking ball of all practicality and rationality. It is if Miley Cyrus swings through my brain and takes out any good thought. Our sermon series is not about diagnosing anxiety or mental health conditions, but it is an opportunity for us to remove stigma around the stress of simply being a human person in the world. I am privileged enough to say that my depression and anxiety were clinically diagnosed at a young age, enabling me to seek professional and medical help uh, that helps me get through and function throughout my day. But did you know that one in four people suffer from mental health conditions? One out of every four people. That's not one out of four every white person. Not one out of four every black person, but one out of every four people in the world suffers from mental health conditions at any point in time in their life. And that's just being diagnosed with it, that all people know the experience of fear or grief or stress that comes along with change and loss. Some people, and some people groups, in fact, are even more inclined to experience anxiety due to prejudice and bias. Did you know that? For example, LGBTQ folks are three times more likely to experience a mental health condition. Not because of something wrong they did, not because of who they are or how God made them, but because of discrimination against them, because of discrimination against their sexual orientation or gender identity. You don't have to be clinically diagnosed with anxiety to understand the limiting effects of fear and distress. Worry for a sick loved one can leave your mind blank and yet somehow totally frantic at the same time. Panic over unpaid bills or an overdrawn bank account can haunt your everyday activities step by step down the sidewalk as you make your way to the bank. And the dread of the unknowable future where things have not changed or things have gotten inexplicably worse, where things are not improved, spirals your thoughts out of control and ultimately there's the fear of being unloved, of not being accepted, or of not having a life's purpose that leave, well, that leaves me 
twisting in my sheets at night. These are feelings that I usually can't stop or shut off until the sun rises and there's a new day beginning. And even then, they don't always go away. So old woman wisdom's recommendations of attentive ears and submission of request forms for understanding and hunt for wisdom sound like tedious tasks to me. Hard work for the immovable weight of a worrisome future. I want to say to her, woman, I have no time and no energy to follow your words of advice about anxiety because it is too much for me. In fact, my anxiety requires me to lock myself away from friends and family, away from supportive networks, and become uh, completely away from communal participation. It demands that I avoid safe spaces to share heartfelt concerns, instead of, and instead I choose to lead a solitary life of scarcity and deprivation. That sounds nice, doesn't it? But that's what my anxiety demands of me. Because I wonder who will accept me if I'm constantly fearful. And who will love me if I'm consistently uneasy and in the corner wringing my hands? So old woman's wisdom's words are too hard and too much work for the broken or the tired or the stressed or the oppressed or the overworked. And yet, she doesn't shut up. She doesn't end her wise sayings there. The proverb continues to say, God grants wisdom. God shares wisdom freely along with peace and understanding and joy. In fact, God not only gifts it to you whether you want it or not, whether you work for it or not, but God stores it up and prepares for those times when you desperately need you some wisdom. Then God goes into the basement of God's house and brings out the abundant stores of serenity to share with all of those gathered in God's house. God hands out tote bags filled with the best kind of wisdom money can buy as party favors at this huge banquet that God is going to throw for us. Old woman wisdom said, wisdom and understanding slip into your hearts like a note under the door without any warning or notice. Old woman wisdom says that wisdom bumps you along the path of life like a bowling ball headed for the pins of justice and righteousness, guarding you against the gutters of despair. So over the past four weeks, we've been talking about anxiety. And we've been using the lens of the serenity prayer, which is an old prayer from the 20th century, a brief request to God, which was written by Reinhold Niebuhr, this old white Christian ethicist, but he was really smart. Don't hold it against him. And then the prayer became widespread and had lasting effects when it was adopted by people uh, going through recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous as a prayer for acceptance, a prayer for change. And it says, God grant me, we'll see if it, there it is, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So if God grants wisdom, why the hell do we have to work so hard to get it? Why do we have to collect all of the things? The words of the proverb seem to conflict themselves, don't they? 
but that's where old woman wisdom and her experience teach us that wisdom is twofold. Wisdom is about being authentic, but it is also about being brave. Wisdom is about knowing yourself, knowing your gifts and talents, but also knowing the shadow side of those gifts and talents and knowing your own doubts and fears and securities. Wisdom is about being brave and taking risks and also about being brave and saying no to things. Wisdom is about possessing tolerance for disappointment because disappointment will come. But wisdom is also about a desperate determination for hope. Attaining wisdom is not a linear process. It doesn't happen that if I do A and then I do B, then I will be the smartest person in the world and everyone will love me. That's not how wisdom works. I wish it was, but it's not. But much like old woman wisdom advises, attaining wisdom is about practicing spirituality and then trusting that God will show up. So old woman wisdom instructs us to tune in to God's desires for our life, God's desires for this world, and we do that by turning on our hearing aids. I don't have a hearing aid, so I don't know what that's like. But I imagine, I've watched all those YouTube videos of people having their cochlear implants turned on. Are you addicted to those like I am? That all of a sudden, once you turn it on, you can hear everything that's going on. When you tune yourself into God, the world seems a little brighter. She demands that we pull out our drum and begin a fight song for the fear of the Lord, crying out, raising our voices to a yell, chanting along with our brothers and sisters gathered here, chanting along with our mothers and fathers of the faith who have done this chanting for years before we ever did, that God's goodness will be made visible. She tells us to pull out our metal detectors, but not only that, pull out our ratchety old uh, shopping carts, because once we go searching and hunting for the treasures of wisdom, we're going to find so many that we got to pile that shopping cart so full. We should be on the hunt for God's reverence in our midst. And all of these acts that we do, practices of wisdom, she doesn't say this, but they should be done daily and with regularity. They're acts like Pennies dropped into a rainy day fund, stored up for times of uncertainty or doubt or fear. Times in the middle or end of the semester when all those syllabi are piling up and you don't know how the heck you're going to get it all done. Or all those papers to grade are stacking up and you don't know how the heck you're going to get it all done. Or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't know how the heck you're going to make it through tomorrow. When we hear anxiety rise to the forefront of our minds, once we've been practicing our spirituality, we know that that anxiety is there and we can recognize its terrible melody, that the instruments are out of tune in our head and that our voice is trying to strain to reach to that octave, but we shouldn't be trying because we can't do that. Uh, we need some vocal lessons or something. When we practice paying attention for God's wisdom, we are more likely to stand up and demand real we demand for the real and wise and loving conductor to return and to lead us in the music that we know, understand that we were created for, to lead us in the song of creation as we prepare for God's enormously great concert. So we store up wisdom 
and practice it. Not as a promise that doubt will never come again, but in fact, we are promised that anxiety will come again. Wisdom is a practice for times of peace to prepare for times of struggle because the struggle is real and the struggle bus usually shows up every morning. Wisdom is trusting that when we are most desperate in the darkest night, when we doubt our own goodness, even God's good, good intentions for our lives, wisdom trusts that despite the voices in our head, God will throw open the closet door where all that serenity is stored and it'll come tumbling down. Jesus wasn't a stranger to anxiety, and that gives me a lot of hope when I hear Olivia's story, when I reflect on my own story, because Jesus was in the garden the night before he was taken as prisoner and prayed a very anxious and desperate prayer. God, take this from me. Not my will, but your will. Jesus then marched to his unjust death, carrying all the anxieties and fears of the world on that cross, weighing him down. But he knew that that wasn't the end, that death would not have its victory, that God had promised insurmountable hope and that the resurrection would come. So you and I, brothers and sisters, we have that same hope, even despite all evidence to the contrary, that God's good gift will come. God one day will get everything that God wants. And so in the times of fear and anxiety and doubt, when I sit there and the sweat pours out of my armpits, I know that too, one day, God's hope will be here again. And I hold out hope for that. I search for it, all the glimpses of it, because when Jesus was resurrected, God's hope started breaking into our world in small spaces. When we go on the hunt for it, we will find it because it is all around. And we will bring it more into our lives by searching for it. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to practice uh, another ancient thing. I'm all about ancient things today. It's probably because I turned 30 recently and I'm getting ancient. But <laughs> So this is a labyrinth I'm passing out for everyone. Uh, prayer labyrinths are uh, old, but they're not specifically Christian. They're used in societies all across the world. Um, as a way of meditating and reflecting. Go ahead. Uh, and you'll notice that uh, the prayer labyrinth is like a pilgrimage. It's, it kind of looks like a maze, but it's not a maze or a puzzle. It's like a pilgrimage you take towards the center where God resides. So as we go along the pilgrimage, you can take their labyrinths throughout the city, just so you know, that you can walk through and actually physically move. But this one we're going to follow with the trace of our finger. And in a moment, I'll set a timer for us all to do this together, but you follow up through the center, taking an inhale. And when you come to the first turn, you exhale. And then tr move along, taking, oh wait, no, it's a exhale, exhale. At the turn, you take an inhale. 
and then slowly exhale as you move following along to the next turn where there's another exhale, another inhale. I'm getting us all confused, am I not? It's exhale, up, inhale at the turn, exhale to move. And if you find that your mind starts getting anxious, that you can't stop thinking about all the other things that you have to do and your lists and things going on, at each turn, at each inhale, breathe in the wor a word. Uh, you can use whatever word you want. I offer my word to you, which is usually peace. And then slowly move through. And then if you make it to the center, the center is where you take and just pause and rest with God. And then if you like have really shallow breaths and you were breathing really quickly through that maze, you can keep going back out through the labyrinth. But this is an exercise for us to rest with God, to experience God's peace here, and then to know that we will experience God's peace later. That in the middle of the night, if you find yourself awake, you can use this labyrinth uh, to help you find some sort of presence of God again in the midst of all the anxiety. So we're going to practice it together. So get your fingers out. Does everybody have a finger? Say yes. I know you do. <laughs> and I'll set a timer for just one minute. One minute of silence. Exhale. Inhale at the turn. What was that like? You're allowed to respond and say something. What was it like to take in a deep breath at each turn and exhale as you traced along the path? Calming. Mindful. Did you feel yourself running out of breath on those long traces? <laughs> or did it feel good to let it all out and then to take in a little more peace? at each turn. This is a tool for you to use, not just today, but at any time. It's a tool for us to store up those pocket, those pennies of wisdom that we might need at a later day. And it is for you. Let's pray. God of wisdom and strength, We lay our anxieties and fears at your feet, knowing that Jesus carried them with him to the cross. They won't go away, but you've given us ways to cope. You've given us family to share with, who hold us dear and hold us up in times of struggle. And you've also given us fierce hope that someday, God, you will get everything that you desire. That someday, Drew and I will dance and celebrate and wipe away each other's tears because death will no longer have victory. We will be resurrected with you, with our brother and friend Jesus. We hold out hope for that. We look for that hope in our everyday lives and we store it up for times when we are in need. Be with us now as we meditate on your word and what you're doing in our lives. Amen. Amen.